I took a year off college. I was studying business and um, great program at UT, but I just, I could not get excited about it. I didn't see how I was going to use it. It felt very narrowing. And I took a year off. Um, I went and took just some oddball jobs. And one of them was um, going door to door. And one of my colleagues there, you know, he he went back to school and he he looked at me and he's like, Jason, you gotta come to this class, man. It's like, it's awesome. He's like, he was a huge stoner. I love the guy. Um, and <laughs> he like, you know, I went with him to the class. It was an animal ethics course. And the way the guy taught it was really, um, really captivating. He taught like close circle, high interaction, um, emotional intelligence. And then the content was pretty cool too. He was teaching you know, animal ethics, which I was like, wow, it's something I never even thought about. You know, it's just like a totally different concept. Um, so when I decided to go back to school, um, I was like, okay, I'm going to study philosophy because philosophy is all about expanding and just seeing as much of the world and questioning it and questioning everything in a sense. So I really wanted to expand my view. And of course that class came up and I was like, all right, let's take it. It was like an honors class. I was not some honors student, but I like nudged my way in the class. Um, and yeah, he showed, um, you know, he was really smart. He did it in a lot of ways where, you know, he showed his documentary called Earthlings, um, which shows the inside of factory farms. And when you see it, you'll never forget it. I mean, it, it is, it's insane. It's like you see this mass processing of life. Um and it just reminded me of like my childhood dog who was, you know, innocent. And I mean, I don't know about innocent. He was, you know, kind of a, a rascal too, but, you know, very, very um, vulnerable, you know? And, and then you see what we're doing to these animals and you're like, this is insane. Like this, th this is so un like unethical. And it just, it's, it hurt my soul to see it. And I was like, I just want to change this shit. Like, that's what I want to do. Like I, I got really motivated um, you know, through the pain in a way. And, you know, I became like this vegan activist guy. Um, I, I would say I was always pretty, I was never like too crazy. Like I was always talking to people and trying to show them what I saw through that class. Um, and it wasn't just all emotion, actually. There was a big aspect where he, um, we watched another uh, documentary called Cowspiracy, and it showed all the inefficiencies in, you know, raising animals and fishing. Um, if you think about it, it's an incredibly inefficient system and an environmentally destructive one. So then like the logic started lining up with the heart and it was like, okay, not only is this wrong and it feels awful, but it's really inefficient. And like, not from the, from the scientific sense, from the business sense, it's artificially propped up. So you have a real opportunity and it rides the wave of, you know, sustainability, which is obviously getting more and more and more important. Um, so, yeah, all of that kind of pushed me. And I, yeah, I became that animal rights guy. And I worked with PETA at the University of Texas, which like, I always love the joke, but it like really limited my dating options. Like I just, text <laughs> just not what you want to be doing. Um but, you know, we were pretty good. We actually worked with the dining hall system there. We got, you know, vegan meals into the major dining halls, um, which was a pretty big win, like at a big university. Um, and that was like the first time I tasted, I think, you know, besides like going to the gym or I don't know, just having fun, like 
working really hard at something um, and there's nobody grading you, there's nobody watching you. It's just your thing. Um, and so, yeah, man, it was great. It was a cool experience that kind of set me off on it. But uh, I started realizing I would have a lot of these conversations and people would agree. They'd be like, you're right. Like factory farming's messed up. Um, animals shouldn't suffer. Uh, we should save the environment. And they would still just eat the way they ate. Um, and I went to a conference actually later, it was about a year and a half after that started. And, you know, they talked about like, the the best analogy was somebody made at the conference was like, if you're pole vaulting, like the pole vaulter is trying to get over this big hurdle and that hurdle is becoming vegan. Right. And so this is around 2016. I think you have all these people in the crowd cheering, like go vegan, go vegan, you know, do it for the animal, do it for the environment. Um, but the runner still has to run and they still have to get really high. It's a, it's a massive amount of effort. Um, and then they just ask the question, like, how do you make it easier for them? Just lower the bar, right? And, and you lower the bar by giving people an option that makes it easy for them. And that hit me so hard um, that I was like, all right, we got to, I, like, I, I got to pivot my focus. I'm not going to be like, uh, you know, prophesizing this. And I do think there's a time for that. And there's glad people are doing it. Um, but I realized what I wanted to do was go down this route of, um, making it easier for people. And that was actually more exciting for me because I always kind of had this desire to start my own company. It was something that I was playing with for, you know, four or five years by that point. I just never had found the thing that I was excited enough to do the work on. I just realized I'm not that kind of person. Like, I, I don't know, uh, maybe I'm just lazy. I got to be really into it. Um, and so, you know, I was like, all right, I don't know shit about business. I went to go get an MBA um in entrepreneurship and um that gave me some of the fundamentals and after that i helped to found an accelerator for alternative protein companies because starting a company was just too difficult i didn't have the network yet and when i found that accelerator with um, a group in germany called ProVeg, you know i really got to be on that original team building it um you know, I just learned a ton. I learned the industry. I learned the people, like learned a lot about, um, you know, where the opportunities were, um, a lot about startups. And that was kind of the launching site for current foods. Um, so all of it led up and that was like a span of from 21. And I think we, you know, the company was at 27 when we, I started working on it kind of part time, um, 20, or I was 26. And then at 27, you know, we went full time on the company. I, I left that group right in the beginning of um, when was it? Uh, shit, that was all the way back in January of 2020. So right before COVID hit and man, we were like doing a fundraising run. We had actually some offers we turned down and they were they were pretty good. But we we just we were like, ah, oh, no, we can raise a ton of money. And COVID hit and we just got slammed um, and we had to go and like I couldn't pay rent for a couple months. Um, but we got into Y Combinator, so pretty phenomenal accelerator that really, you know, we got around some smart people and we were able to raise good capital and that just kind of set it all off. Um, but, you know, to your point, a lot of people didn't even notice us until we raised that seed round out of Y Combinator. Yeah. And it's to your point, it's like, oh, you're out of nowhere. And it's like, no, no, no. This was, <laughs> this was from the beginning, like in college, giving up the secure route of getting a, you know, business degree or becoming a lawyer, because that's what philosophy students do to, you know, 
working construction and delivering food after getting an MBA because you don't want to settle for those other jobs to, you know, at 25, 26, making almost nothing and moving to Europe on an internship. Like it's a lot of shit, um, especially when I think people are defining new things. And um, it took a lot, it took a lot of time and sacrifice. Um, yeah. And not to say I didn't enjoy life in the meantime, but it was, it was a lot. Yeah. You got to sometimes learn things the hard way in that process. Cause you don't, there is no other way. Like you just yeah. got to do it with the brute force and then you hope you learn from it in the process. You said something that I really relate to a second ago. You, you talked about, you became aware of an issue and you, you kind of became an activist about it. You had, you had, you learned about it. You had something to say about it, but yeah. then you sort of transitioned out of like activism into, I don't know what the next phase is doing something about it ism. And I relate to that a lot. I think there's times uh, with a lot of different topics um, where I've had, you know, friends and colleagues and say, oh, we, we should get active about this or essentially saying, like, we should be activists about this. And yeah. I've always thought to myself, like, I don't think my job is to be an activist. I think my job is to listen to the activist and then do something about it. That's what I do. That's what I do. Right. And we need everybody like everybody plays a role. Um, and so there's, there's a, there's a type of personality who's great activists and raises awareness of other things, but we also have to have throughput on that. And there's people like, I would say probably like you and I who are like, can we do something about it? I think we will. And let's go do it. You know? And I, we need that, we need that player too. Right. Totally, man. Yeah. That's so important. I mean, it's, it's your, it's your point. You find the thing that you do and you're good at it. You enjoy doing it. And that's your value add, right? And it's from your point, it can be being an activist. It can be being, um, you know, uh, the the catalyst for those people to get their voice out there. It can be, you know, people like on our team are so different at our company. You know, some people are really organized. They're super functional and like incredible operators. Um, some people are more creative. Like some people talk, you know, and and and, and all of them, serve their purpose. And I think that that the hard part is sometimes we get caught up in doing things a certain way and it can be hard to let go of that and just being like, okay, that had its time and place and here's my other thing. And, and, and I think what kind of, I think my dad told me that was really, really powerful and it's super basic, but it's like, what's really exciting for you? Like, what do you feel that's like, this gets me pumped up? Because when I was walking away from kind of you know, the activist perspective, it was kind of hard for me. I was like, fuck, I'm like giving up on these things. And like, I'm, you know, just going to do this. But then I realized like, I got to be pumped up about it. Um, and if I'm not pumped about it, like it's going to be pretty hard to be effective. Yep. I think that's pretty true. It, it gets 100%. like, you got to get excited by it because that fuels the thing. Right. And usually yeah. we get pretty excited about what well, my other friend said it was really smart. It's like, put your efforts in where it feels like you're cheating. Um, which kind of like face value, you're like, what the fuck? But uh, <laughs> it, where it feels like you're getting exponential returns, like way more returns than for the energy you put in, right? And I was like, man, that's super smart. Like, what are the things that I'm doing? And then you're like, you're rolling with it. You're like, holy crap, this is working. Yeah. Whatever this is, this is working. Um, yeah. The way I've said it is if if you're doing it at 1 a.m. at night and you and you stop and think about what you're doing and you're like, oh, this is fun. I'm going to keep going. Like you found a good spot. But if you're like, oh, this is such a grind. I can't wait to not do this. Like you've, you're going to have to get, a, you're going to have to work your way out of that somehow. But yeah. yeah, yeah, it's tough. And I, 
and and part of this, like, I also realize sometimes you're, sometimes you're not going to like what you do too. Um, like it's not always going to be enjoyable and, and that's, that that's tricky, right? Like sometimes you're gonna, there's going to be parts that just suck. And ideally we outsource that or hand that over to somebody else and focus on. Well, I think you got to be willing to go into it knowing that's the case. I had some great advice uh, before I started native and that was, Hey, they, a person said, here's my definition of an entrepreneur. An entrepreneur is the willing, is the person who's willing to do all the dirty work because the people you hire can't hire them to do the dirty work. They want to do a nice job. They want a, a nice job. So that means you have to do all the in-between things, all the dirty work that you can't get someone to do. And if you're successful, eventually you can start delegating that stuff. But if you go into it thinking you're going to have like the best part and you're going to hire out the dirty stuff, it's not going to work. You know, you're going to be disillusioned and really upset that it doesn't go that way. Yeah. 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 That really helped to me because I was like, yeah, bring it on. Give me the dirty work. I, that's what I'm signing up for. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Because then you're just able, uh, able to, you're able to take it as it comes. Oh, it's interesting. So yeah. tell me, I'm one of the things about what you guys do that I think I'm very fascinated by is just you talked about the inefficiency of of the way the food system kind of works. Like there's crazy amounts of inputs to get these yeah. small outputs, right? Like how many units of grain and this and that and that to get like one unit of meat, of meat, right? It's pretty wild. Yeah. Um. The the more you're aware of it, and the average consumer has no clue, right? But more and more, we're starting to wake up to the realities of this. But for a lot of plant-based food, far more efficient, which I think is super interesting, far more sustainable. It's it's a better way yeah. um, uh, to consume food, uh, to create food, that type of thing. Can you talk a little bit about like how you've approached that and you know where you would say you are today, but what maybe you can envision getting to and that type of thing? And then just oh. a side note, man, I love tuna and salmon. I, I'm a big sushi, big pokey guy like i see your guys photos i'm like there's no way like that is how are they doing this this looks so delicious you know cool man yeah i mean we we've been working on those images for a while and it's it's gonna get better for sure um i love that question i love that question because it's so it's the core of why i think this is inevitable um like you can read the book the expanse the series it's like i just started reading i'm like this sci-fi novel is incredible and they are all eating like plant-based fermented foods. Like that's what people are going to eat in space. Like we won't be growing animals, but yeah, look, I mean, fundamentally you have this, you know, underlying thing like feed conversion ratio. Right. And it's just, and what's interesting, I'll, maybe I won't take it from such a broad swath. I'll stick it for seafood for now. But if you look at the feed conversion ratio of, um, you know, for, for example, um, you know, chickens, it's like, I think it's somewhere around like two to one pigs mm-hmm. are three to one. I think the latest with cows was like six to one, eight to one. So, mm-hmm. you know, you're doing eight pounds of corn to get one pound of meat out. Um, and then for, you know, bluefin tuna, it's like 26 to one because bluefin tuna or just tuna, actually all the tuna that we farm, um, are apex predators. So they're like way at the top of the food chain. They're super active, you know, they have like, um, you know, a lot of the hemoglobin. So they're red blood fish where they, you know, accelerate through the water really rapidly. Um, so they, they consume tons of energy. Um, and what I think that's pretty interesting is, you know, tuna, um, you can't really farm them and, and you can't farm them because a, they're really difficult to breed 
But B, um, and that's the biggest reason, uh, we have to catch them from the wild and then put them into pins. So it doesn't even allow the wild population to recover. But then even when you catch them, a lot of them will die in the pins. They're very active. And the feed conversion ratio is so inefficient in 26 to 1 that, you know, it's just, it doesn't really solve this fundamental challenge that you have a low population um, and low supply, which creates high price. And this is kind of what drove us to focus on raw tuna as our first product, because we're like, oh, shit, here's somewhere where we can come into the part uh, into the market and be price competitive. And the reality is like almost all alternative proteins cannot do this yet. Um, they are coming at a premium. And unless your product is better than the animal, the average consumer will not buy it. The average consumer will be like, I'm not going to pay more for a product that's mediocre. And I probably won't even pay more for a product that's like the same, maybe because I care about the environment. That's a much smaller part of the market. So the way we address that is we targeted raw tuna um, and we targeted smoked salmon. And smoked salmon is actually really expensive, more so for the operational complexity. You have to smoke the product, you have to slice the product. Um, that process is actually pretty labor intensive. And so we're in the privileged position that we've been able to launch and be price competitive to the animal. So like if you go to a place and you see our smoked salmon, like you'll see that we're at the same price. We're cheaper than some and we're more expensive than others, but we're like middle of the line smoked salmon price. Um, and that's the same with most of our raw tuna on the food service side of the market. So, you know, and, and the fundamental reason why, and this is a pilot scale. So when we get actual scale, we will undercut the cost significantly. Like we will be so much cheaper than those animal products, which is great because we not only expand the pro the market size, but we'll be able to, you know, just take those customers. Um, and the fundamental reason, right? It's it's based on plants. You don't have the, you know, you can look in like if we look into the, you know, tuna fishing industry. It's wild. They'll send out these you know, especially like the high end fresh stuff, they'll send out like massive boats that will have like, you know, sub zero uh, freezers on them. And they'll go out and have these huge long lines and long lines enough to wrap the earth like 200 something times, if not more, um, you know, in total. Um, and, and they're catching all these tuna. They have to, you know, chop them, freeze them, hold them on the boats, take those boats with like support boats, bring it back to the dock, cut it, freeze it, fly it. I mean, it's insane. And, and the reason you know for sure that it's really unsustainable um, is the heavy subsidy that goes into it. So this is an industry that's completely propped up by government subsidy. And that's for most industrial fishing. That's for definitely, you know, like land-based animals. Um, so when you would pull away these subsidies, these products would actually be practically unaffordable to the public. So you already have all of these issues there. So now the question is all about, can you make a product that tastes good enough and is affordable enough? And people are like, oh, well, the plant-based industry is having such a hard time. It's like, it's not going anywhere. And yeah, it's going to have a hard time because you're facing insane subsidies and it takes quite a bit of time and money to make good food products. I mean, there's no way around that. I mean, this is pretty complex stuff. Um, and it's not like a computer where, you know, you can put all the technology you want into it and this is an everyday day com commodity that should be healthy. Um, so anyways, um, you're, I have to, I have to say your entry point with this is so smart. Um, I'm a little surprised. I, I know this space is competitive, but I'm a little surprised it's not more competitive because it just makes so much sense. Mm -hmm. I mean, the strategy you're talking about, um, other 
I assume others are pursuing different angles because of the volume um, that's there maybe. And they just want to be a first mover there, but it makes so much sense. What I got to ask, what was it like whenever you saw the product on the shelf for the first time? Um, hmm. Yeah, I mean, it was cool. Yeah. I don't know. I, I don't know. I don't, I don't feel like I had that reaction. I could tell the team was all watching me and it was cool. Don't get me wrong. I was like, this is great guys. But I was kind of just like, all right, let's keep going. Like to me, I, and I'm, this is something I'm trying to work on actually is to really um, celebrate, you know, I think, yeah. I think it's really smart and it's, and it's something I'm not that good at. And I'm realizing that's actually a weakness. Like a part of me is like, Oh, you're cool, man. Like you just keep working and, look at you, you just get the job done. But you realize like, actually, you need that. And the people around you need that. And it's good for what you're doing to, to celebrate. Um, and it's not mutually exclusive to keep working hard. In fact, it reinforces your capability to work hard because it lifts the morale. So long story short, I wasn't as excited as I think some people were <laughs> expecting. Um, and I'm working on it. I'm working on you know, really seeing like, Hey, this is awesome. And we're doing things. Uh, I think one of my challenges is that, you know, I get driven by sometimes it's like, it's overwhelming. Like you see what we're doing to our world and you see, it, it feels like it's moving at like a snail's pace. You're like, why are we not already replacing this on such mass? You know? And, and, and I think that part of me is good because it drives me, but it's also a double-edged sword. Like it, it can demoralize me. Um, and I think that's a big lesson I'm learning is patience and celebration and keep driving. Those things will actually help get the job done better. And I got to get rid of that narrative that, you know, my coach helped me realize is that you should always be working. It's like, that's actually not a good narrative. A narrative is actually kind of destructive. Um, yeah. Yeah. It take, it's, a, it's, it's a maturing process to learn those lessons though. It sounds like you're learning it faster than than some I, I i had the same thing i will tell you and it took me much longer than than probably you to figure that stuff out um it, it, it was several many years before i started realizing like oh if i'm not going to celebrate this then what's the point like i need to take a minute and celebrate this because the you know there's certain little milestones that only come along every so often and if you're not going to celebrate it because you're already on the next five years like what's yeah. the point you know yeah. and and people on your team there's a lot of benefits to working with a stoic yeah. Every once in a while, you're like, come on, man, smile and celebrate. That's funny you brought that up because that's literally what I was about to do. And um, so this is a sto I'm really into stoicism. And this is um, a yep. daily stoic thing, Memento Mori, or this one. Shit, I wanted to show you the other one. It's Amor Fati. Um, and Amor Fati means love your fate. It doesn't mean just bear with it. It means like fucking love it. Like this is your life. To your point, that milestone will only come once. You know, and I thought that was so powerful is like, it's the most, it's actually the most enjoyable way to live life, but it's the most logical way to live life because in loving it, like we revitalize ourselves and it's a stoic virtue, which is so cool. It's like, these are the guys who are always talking about this stuff. And, um, it's just a, it, it's like, it's a much more enjoyable way to live, um, and it's, and I think when we remind ourselves that like, this will never happen again, right? Like you know, Justin and Jacek on this, you know, on the podcast talking and like, it will never, there will never be, maybe we do it again, but like, there'll never be this one. This was the only one ever for all people of all time. And it's like kind of radical when every moment in life is that way. Um, 
yeah, if you can if you can make it a game for yourself that's kind of some advice that i've uh, i didn't hear from, i'd read it somewhere and i was like oh that makes a lot of sense and i need that is you know try to make these things especially the things that feel like they could be stressful and you could get yourself psyched up like make it a game for yourself mm. you know it, it's not high stakes it's actually not high stakes at all like just make it a game find a way to make it interesting play that game and when you're done like hey it's just a game you know and i you can stay light you can stay loose i think you play at a higher level so I'm not great at that, which is why I always think about it. Cause I have to remind myself like, Hey, just make this thing a game. Um, it's really helped me a lot. And if I see somebody who's wound a little tight, mm. um, I'll always try to share that with them a little bit of like, Hey, just loosen up. Uh, you'll play better if you play a little lighter here. And how do you, I'm curious, like, how do you kind of do that? Do you have like a reminder on your phone? Do you have any systems or is it just more of a philosophical thing that you've kind of been digesting? I'm looking at a sign right here on my wall that says that. So that's one thing I do. <laughs> yeah, my kids like to make fun of me. They're like, Ed, you should be a, mo you're such a motivational speaker. We, you know, I'm giving a little pep talks here and there and they're, it, it's an eye roll from them at this age, but I'm hoping some yeah. of it sinks in. At they're going to love it. They're going to love it. My dad did this crap. Like he would always tell these stories and I still remember them. Yeah. I remember he would tell stories and like he would repeat them and I even knew them like he said them six or seven times and I would I just always just remember them like yeah and, I, and it's awesome I'm like I'm so grateful for my father I'm like it's good stuff that. it's these little one-liners here and there and if it's if it's repeated to you enough you remember it um there's basically two that I grew up hearing and, and it's just it was said to me so much that I can't not think about it and I think I almost wonder like what I would have done had I not heard those two on repeat so much. I think I would have been a different person. Yeah. Do you, I'm actually curious. Like one of them is a very Midwestern one, which is, you know, um, you're no better than any other person and they're no better than you. Right. That's one. And that a lot of people grow up here in that one. And so I think that influences the way you are around people you know, no one's beneath you. And so you interact with them just like they're your equal because they are, yeah. but also when you walk into a really intimidating situation and you feel like you got a big presentation, big opportunity, you're like, I'm not intimidated by this. Like you and I are equals here. We're the same. Yeah. And so I think it makes you a little bit more confident in those situations because you're not as intimidated. We're just people. Right. So that's yeah. one. Um, the other one, both of these are for my grandmother, by the way. Um, oh, yeah. Cool. The, uh, the other one was, um, it was basically just real simple. It's like, if you set your mind to something like you can do it, like there's nothing you can't do, like, but you have to put your mind to it. Mm -hmm. And so I really grew up believing like anything's possible, but I just have to decide what I want to commit myself to. So I think both of those were like super helpful. I mean, the idea that like anything you want to do, if you're willing to put in the work, you can do it. Not everybody grows up with that sort of conviction that they can. Yeah. But you also have to be ready to put in the work for it. It's not going to come easy. Yeah. That's really, um, those are good. I really like that first one too, to the second point. Like, I think we all kind of hear like, you should respect other people. And, um, well, maybe we don't, maybe we don't, but I, the, the counterintuitive one too is like, well, other people, you know, like you're, we're all on the same level, you know? And, um, it's, it's, a, it's a beautiful way to look at the world. It actually sounds kind of existentialist in a way. It's like, we're all just here and um, we we can do whatever we want in this, you know, short lifetime that we have. Um, yeah. One of the, 
one of the biggest meetings I went to my first year in the industry, mm-hmm. uh, I was getting ready to go to it. And the guy I was working for, he goes, Hey man, don't be intimidated in this room. He goes, you're going to be like younger than everybody by 20 years. Mm-hmm. He's like, believe me, you belong to be there. You'll be fine. Yeah. And then he goes, by the way, he goes, I didn't learn that until I went to a big meeting when I was about your age and the CEO of this big company, we're all ordered salads in at this big executive table and everybody's getting their salads. And he goes, I watched this really in- successful, intimidating CEO grab mayonnaise and put mayonnaise all over his salad and then try to figure out why his salad didn't taste good when he's eating this like mayonnaise covered salad. He goes, that was the day I realized like we're all idiots in some level. Like I'm fine. I'm doing just all right. And so I always had this image when I go in these big board meetings when I was in my twenties of yeah, any of you guys could put mayonnaise on your salad at any moment right now. So I'm fine. You know, it is. <laughs> that's pretty gross. Yeah. <laughs> I wonder if he knows now he's like, Oh man, I've been hearing about this everywhere. <laughs> I'm that guy. Yeah. Hey, speaking of ingredients, how long did it get you? How long did it take? How many different recipes and iterations did you have to go through mm-hmm. to get to raw tuna that I mean I got, I haven't tasted it. Yeah. But I'm looking at the photos. I'm like, this yeah. is amazing. Uh how did you guys do it? And I've seen your some of your ingredient lists and I'm sitting there trying to think like hmm. how does that you know how does that go together? Like like yeah. you yeah, talk about I mean, that a little bit. Sure. I mean it's been and I think now it's probably over 10,000 iterations. Um, 10,000. Food sure. science, man. Like it's like a whole yeah. thing, you know, and um, I think from the high level, I, I grasp it, but from the definitive, you know, it's not, it's not my wheelhouse. Um, but, you know, so, so it's a ton of trial and error, just a ton of trial and error. Um, and you get like incremental improvements. I was actually talking to the, so who's our first investor. I was just talking with him today and it's really cool. Cause you get these, points where you're like oh the product's good like i just don't think it's gonna get better and then it gets better and then it gets better and keeps getting better and it's so cool because there's so much room to optimize food you know like animals are maxed out they're not gonna get any better um but plants and like all the other stuff tons of stuff that's gonna you know keep making it tastier and better and healthier um i completely agree by the way and i think that it's such an underrated um a note about plant-based food and some of the kind of alternative foods that are coming out right now. It reminds me of like, you remember the first version of the iPhone and how a lot of the apps were like, Hey, it's like that old fashioned thing you did. And this is, here's an interface that you're familiar with. And then like five versions later, like it doesn't resemble that at all because we forgot what that old device even was. Like, I think that's where we're at with plant-based food is like, this tastes just like this. And then in however many years, it'll be like, actually, we can make it taste better. And yeah. we've got, and, we, and people prefer this type of thing. And like, oh, but what is that? Like, well, it's mm-hmm. an evolution of this. I, and maybe right. that's, not, maybe people aren't in the headspace to appreciate that or even want to yet. But I think we're, I mean, that's coming. Absolutely. Totally. Yeah. Food's interesting. Cause it's like, when you say, you know, if we just called it, I don't know, whatever you want to call it, like, uh, uh, maybe you could create some beautiful marketing name around it, but people with food tend to be a little less adventurous. Like they kind of like to know what they're eating and have a natural. Mm-hmm. So I think that's the whole movement around doing like plant-based tuna instead of plant-based, you know, red, you know, meaty thing, you know, like it, it's, it's interesting. It's like there, there's a whole, the marketing around it is a whole conundrum and it's fascinating and it will improve. 
you know, on the ingredient side, we're, we're, we're kind of, kind of, it's just water protein and, um, and, uh, fat. And so we do water from just purified water. Protein is, um, coming from peas. The latest iterations have pea, hemp, and rice. So complete amino acid profile, same amount of protein. Um, you know, the fat comes from sunflower and algae and algae gives it the fishy taste. So that's where you actually get like a fishy taste, which we have to you know, navigate right. Cause we can, we've done algae oil in the past where it's like too fishy and people are like, this is too fishy. I'm like, well, it's fish. And they're like, no, no, too fishy. So we have to turn down the fish taste, um, which is kind of ironic. You're fishier than fish. Um, <laughs> yeah. And then the color is from tomato. So those yeah. are kind of like fundamental ingredients. And then you have, you know, things that also help with structure and that's like bamboo fiber, um, konjac, you know, algae, like these things can help with the with the water retention structure. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's, it's pretty interesting. I, the product's just going to keep getting better. It's like, that's what's, that's what I get really excited about. And it's like, sky's the limit right now. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's cool. When I, the, the very first impression, I'll tell you what I thought. Uh, and I'm curious, I'm sure you hear all kinds of crazy reactions from people, but, um, yeah. I've had some heirloom tomatoes that, were so delicious. I'm like, this is like as good as some seafood mm -hmm. I've had. And so when I saw it, I was like, well, I see that tomatoes are on the ingredients list. Like I thought maybe, well, maybe it's very tomato. Like that's a big part of it. It sounds like it's not as big as I originally thought, but, um, that's, that's my uninformed snap judgment. Mm -hmm. Uh, and having had an experience just with like a tomato tasting so good, like I was like, oh, I could, to I would totally be into this. I'd totally give this a try. I would have no reservations whatsoever yeah. about trying that. I, what kind of, uh, reactions do you hear from people? Like, I'm sure you've been in front of people whenever they've had it for the first time. Like what's the spectrum of reactions that you're getting from people? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's really interesting. It's a lot about presentation. So if we put it, yeah. like there's times I don't even, you know, we'll do taste tests and I just don't tell people. I'm just like, Hey, you want some sushi, right? Which is sushi can have anything. And they see it and they're like, Oh, cool. They eat it. And they're like, this is really good. And you know, like, yeah, it's plant-based. And they're like, wait, what the fuck? And they don't even know. So that's like the coolest part is like, if you don't even prompt people, they don't even know. They just think it's regular raw tuna and smoked salmon. Um, and this has happened across the board so many times now. So I'm convinced, you know, when the marketing's right, you know, then you have the opposite spectrum. If you say, Hey, here's vegan fish, like people will get kind of like skeptical and they start like, like trying to find things that are wrong with it. And, you know, it's a really poor way to market it. I think that's something in the middle where it's like, you have plant-based fish or you have current salmon or current tuna, right? Like, and then we get the branding in there and that's, you know, identifying that something's, um, you know, a little different, um, so it, it's an interesting marketing game, but yeah, you know, it, it really varies. Like you look, if you eat it side by side, you're, you're still going to be able to tell a difference. I mean, by no means have we like completely mimicked it, um, but it's a good product. And when you put it in things like you can't really even tell the difference anymore um, when you prepare it. So, you know, it, it really ranges. And sometimes we hear like totally wacky shit where people are like, you know, they, they really want something specific. Like I know we've been doing you know, tastings all across. And like, some people are like, really want fishy taste, like way more fishy taste. And they're like, I don't think so, man. Like, I think most people actually do not like that fishy taste. Um, and some people just want like no fishy taste. And it's, uh, you know, some people want a certain color, you know, they want it to be like, um, you know, like a deeper hue or a lighter hue. And so everybody has kind of an opinion in a way. 
the trick is like, how do you just take the the median and mm-hmm. uh, apply it to the you know best product improvement? And it's a fun it's a fun dance to to go around because you're like, man, maybe I'll just maybe point just create something totally crazy like a purple super soy sauce umami thing, and they would just be like, this is delicious. I don't know what it is, but uh, most people just get too weirded out. It's like oh. yeah. Yeah. yeah, we're not there yet. We got to wrap our heads around some other things first, I think, probably. Yeah. What's yeah. been the what's been the most rewarding aspect of this so far for you? Um, I mean, there's a ton of self-growth. Like I've grown a lot as a person, and that's anything from learning how to work better with people, learning how to work better with myself, um, how to optimize myself um from a mental standpoint, from a physical standpoint. Um you know, communicate better, be more organized, all of that kind of stuff is, you know, it's, it's a huge thing of self-improvement, um, which is really cool because that carries into every other area of my life. Um, and then there's like, you know, more tangible things about, you know, specifically this, and that's like creating a great product. I mean, I think in the end, that's what drew us to this idea and your comment earlier around why isn't there more people doing is like most people go after, you know, burgers or nuggets or things. It's, it's, you know, there's some companies who really led the way and they innovated there. Um, and a lot of other companies who are kind of, you know, just taking an approach where they just take the same process and they brand it in a new way. Um, and, and that's really hard to do with what we're doing because nobody's really done that well yet. Um, and that's what drew me to it. I was like, this is a good challenge. Like, how do you make a good raw fish? Like, how do you make a good smoked salmon? Um, and it's, you know, really pushed us to kind of like innovate and really work on product there. So, I think having a great product that's differentiated, I think that's probably one of the most exciting things. And when you see people eat it and you see that moment where you know they would eat it, if you if you subbed out our stuff with like all grocery, you know, our tuna with all the grocery store tuna stuff right on the market, we would totally, it would be like a knockout as long as it was marketed in an appropriate way. Um, and so that's like, I would say that's the most rewarding is creating a phenomenal product and seeing the customer's reaction to it because in the end that is um you know the like that's the first principles of the company um but you know raising a good amount of money is always nice or like bringing on a good team member like that's always pumps you up too and you know that's uh those are other areas that you're like hell yeah the vision's coming together you're getting more of a an arsenal for the mission um well, that's cool yeah, in the near term, do you think you'll stay in seafood and kind of expand in that portfolio? Or do you see yourself adventuring further out or is it too soon to say, or is that too secretive to say? <laughs> I mean, I think we're going to stay in seafood right now. Um, I think that's pretty fair. Like we, we really want to, we really want to win that market and make sure that the products perform well. Um, and we want to, instead of like going to like a tons of skew approach, just make really good skews. Um, which is not to say we're not going to do more. Of course, we're going to do more. Um, so seafood for now, um, I think we could get into like different formats. We'll probably stay away from like breaded things. Um, well, who knows? Like, I, I don't know. Maybe we will get in there. Maybe we see that like the opportunity is big enough. Um, but for now, we're all tuna smoked salmon. There's a few other skews we kind of have that we're playing with um, in the similar area. And those are, again, the high price point items, you know, um, those products I think are the first place to win. Uh, and it's kind of taking like a Tesla approach, right? Like yeah, they started totally. with a, a Roadster and then they went to a Model S and then eventually it's like, you know, like Model 3, Model Y, 
you know, kind of more hot, like mid market mass market. Um, and that's the same way we want to approach things. Um, so yeah, I, I think it's, it's very sharp, very, very smart approach. And again, I'm almost surprised other people haven't done it. I, I assume, like I said, I, I assume that they're going after the other stuff because of the volume and like total Tam. Exactly. There's like a whole, they got, they got that Tam. Thing. I'm not a Tam fan. I, I, I think it's I think, really overrated too. How can you win your song? Like that's to yeah. me what, that's the name of the game. Yeah. And that's why Combinator, they had like a famous saying, I think it's I'm pretty sure it's Paul Graham. It's, you know, it's uh, do things that don't scale, right? Like find that core, do it really well and then expand outward. Don't try to like do it the other way. It's, but you know, it is what it is. Yeah. Well, that leaves opportunity for other people who have, <laughs> the better approach i think you know exactly. yeah it's just so alluring to go after that big prize and never yeah. really win anything um but that's how a lot of the world functions so yeah and we we almost fell in that trap too i remember there was like some investors who were like oh you need a bigger market size and you know you should be going after like this and then i was like that is no like that's i'm sorry like it's just a bad idea like that will you know if that ever comes i'll come in it's time it's like those these products in themselves are enough to create a hundred million dollar business if you execute properly um like you'll get your hundred million revenue mark like you know not getting distracted by the noise um especially the way that things were going like you know before this economic time like everybody was just like oh grab the biggest shit ever and it was kind of a little out of whack. At it.